Lazarus, come out! Lazarus, come out! Are you awake? Finally, my brother has risen. I was getting worried about you again. How long was I out? Don't be mad, but... What? We welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem yesterday. Mary, why didn't you wake me? I brought you back palm branches, though, to keep. Mary! I wanted to let you rest. You barely slept at all since... Life is a little different when you've been brought back to it. Maybe so, but I still need you to rest. No, sister. I need to be where he is. I know you think you need to go out and find him right at this moment. But Lazarus, I need you to take care of yourself. I can't lose you again. everything what, what was it like uh, did, did he preach uh, did he perform miracles um, how many people were there <laughs> well there were people everywhere mm -hmm. he rode in on a donkey oh. and the road was covered in cloaks and palm branches and everyone was shouting Hosanna in the highest we must have done that for hours <laughs> I bet they could hear us all the way in Galilee. <laughs> you know, after you died, I was so mad at Jesus. At Jesus? Mary. I was dead, and now, now I'm alive. And it is only because of him. But he knew that you were And in that moment, I felt like you were dead because of him. Until I wasn't. And it was in that moment mm. that I realized that Jesus was everything we needed. Everything I needed, but nothing I expected. Yes, Mary, yes. He did not come here riding on a triumphant horse for glory or to be allies with the powerful. He is power. He is glory. He is triumph. He's a king. But one that actually loves his people. Oh. He is a king that will go into death to save us. To stand in front of us. To call us out of our grave clothes. And to offer this life that only he can offer. That's our Jesus. That's our Jesus. He's the one. He is the king. And he's come to save us all. The story of Lazarus and Mary and Martha is recorded in John's gospel. John records the story of Lazarus and Jesus bringing him back from the dead. Uh, because John was an eyewitness to the event. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but obviously Jesus went that day to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he brought his disciples with him, and John was one of those. So John would have heard what Jesus said. He would have, he would have heard Jesus say, Lazarus, come forth. He would have heard that with his own ears. Uh, he would have seen Lazarus come out of the tomb in his grave clothes and the reactions of the crowd. I would imagine even that John was one of those disciples. 
I don't know what you do with somebody who's raised from the dead. I don't know if you shake hands on that occasion, if you hug. Or, I imagine there was an embrace there. It's like, wow, he really is alive. John was an eyewitness to one of the most amazing events in all of human history, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. He saw many of the other miracles of Jesus. He, he saw them. He heard the things that Jesus taught. But there was one thing among all the things that are recorded in the Scripture that was the game changer for John and for others, and it was the resurrection of Jesus himself. That was the game changer. That was what made the difference in John's life. That's what transformed John's life because from that day on he lived in the reality of the risen Lord who reigns. John was an eyewitness to all of these things. I want us to walk this morning for the next few moments uh, through the life of John the Apostle. All four Sundays in March, I'm preaching on the resurrection of Jesus, not just Easter Sunday morning. And I'm taking individuals' stories of how their lives were transformed by the most significant event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ um, is an inescapable reality that every human being that lives must deal with what really happened and if it happened the way the eyewitnesses said then the implication of that changes everything about the way we live John's story uh, we see it recorded in obviously John's gospel although in John's gospel John never refers to himself by name but he's always the disciple whom Jesus loved or the other disciple uh, John also wrote certain books. First, second, and third John were letters he wrote to churches where he pastored. And then the last book of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, written by John, the old man. Uh, I want us to walk through the life of John the Apostle. And I believe, that if I, have, I believe as I have studied his life this week that the thing that impresses me is that John, the apostle, was a witness to everything, virtually everything that occurs uh, in, the, in the life and ministry of Jesus. And we're going to kind of walk through that here in just a minute. But it's kind of amazing if you begin to piece together the New Testament, what you see is John's always there. Some of the other apostles aren't at certain occasions. No, John is always there. And I think this is what strikes me, is that John was a witness from the very beginning, and he was a witness to the end. He's there from the very beginning, and actually he's the last apostle living at the end in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And, and I guess this is, this is what I want you to, to apply John's story to your life today, regardless of what it is that you pass through in life. There is a power in the risen, reigning Lord that is greater than even that. John's life was transformed by the one reality, regardless of he saw a lot and he did a lot, but the one thing that was the game changer was the resurrection of Jesus Christ but it, because it showed that Jesus is risen and he reigns as Lord. I want to I read a few verses and I'm going to allude to a lot of verses this morning, but you can either look on the screens or turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. Not, not the Gospel of John, but First John, his letter that he writes to the churches. And actually, the beginning of it is rather awkward grammatically, but I'll explain that. 
Notice what John says in 1 John 1, and we'll read just the first three verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And kind of he starts back over and he says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Even though it is a little awkward grammatically, I want you to understand what it is that the Apostle John was communicating. Actually, he begins with uh, the end, the object of the verb in his sentence. And in fact, he doesn't even use it in the first uh, verse of what. But the main verb uh, that John is going to use that constructs this. Uh, kind of awkward sentence is the word proclaim. And he's going to use it in verse 3, but what he's saying is we proclaim to you, and then if you just inserted that, and some translations, translations do at the start of verse 1, we proclaim to you. Notice what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. John says, I'm communicating to you, here it is, what I have personally experienced myself. I have seen it with my eyes, I have heard it with my ears, I have touched it with my hands. I am not communicating secondhand information here. I am an eyewitness. I have had a personal experience. I know what has happened, and I am proclaiming that to you. That is what a witness does. A witness proclaims what they have experienced for themselves, not what they've experienced secondhand, but only what they have experienced firsthand. I got this idea that John was a witness from the beginning in this phrase when he says in verse 1, that which was from the beginning. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. John had full knowledge of all that had occurred in Jesus' life and ministry. In fact, when he refers to the word of life in verse 1, he's referring to Jesus you know, he begins his gospel, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The, he was with God, and he was God. And then later he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says, I'm proclaiming to you what I have personally experienced myself. And the intent of that is so that you might experience the same life that I have experienced. Uh, the word is only used once in these verses, uh, but he talks about witness. In fact, if there's one word that I'm going to say before you today, it is the word witness that we understand that, that John was a witness from the beginning. He was a witness to the end. You need to understand that the word witness is a word in the original language that we get our word for martyr from i want you to put that little thought that little thought in your head i was about to say in your little head but that would be maybe demeaning the word witness is the word that we transliterate into english as martyr john says i am communicating to you i'm giving witness what i have personally experienced Think about what John had experienced. He was a witness from the beginning. Uh, John is one of the first of uh, the disciples that is chosen by Jesus. He is a fisherman. Uh, we don't know ex the exact order, but when you put together the other Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, not so, and well, you, you have some in John's Gospel. He is an early follower of Jesus. He was there from the beginning. He was called from fishing. 
John personally saw the miracles of Jesus that are recorded in the Gospels. He personally heard the teaching of Jesus. He experienced it all. In fact, he experienced things that some of the other 12 did not experience. John was in a group that we call the, the inner circle of disciples. Sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four. But Peter, James, John, and Andrew. There were certain experiences that Jesus went through with them that he didn't with the others that were a part of the twelve. One of those was the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus takes three of them up on the mountain and he is transformed, transfigured before them in all of his glory. That was an experience that only the inner circle had, John included. John is one of the disciples that Jesus sent to go and to prepare the Passover meal for him. And you talk about the inner circle the Gospels record that John is the disciple that sat closest to Jesus at his right hand during that final Passover meal. It was the place, make no mistake about it, it was the place of honor and it is alluded to in the Gospels. He is the one that sat next to Jesus at his right hand. John not only goes to the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus goes that night to pray, but Jesus leaves some of the disciples to sit, and then he calls the inner circle, including John, to go in further into the garden with him. And there John is with Peter during that time of prayer through the night before Jesus was to die. John is there when the soldiers come, and they arrest Jesus. And I guess the picture that I'm painting for you is, of all the stories and all the Gospels, if there is one person that was always there, it seems as if it were John. Actually, the story gets deeper as far as John being a witness. If we were to look to John's Gospel, we see there is an, at least an allusion to the fact that after all the disciples had scattered, Peter and John go to the trial of Jesus. And we know that outside in the courtyard, Peter denies Jesus but in John 18:15 it says and Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest most biblical scholars would say that other disciple is John so not only is John in the upper room seated at the right hand of uh, of Jesus not only does he go to the garden of Gethsemane and he goes deep into the garden and he's there when he's arrested but John in time follows Jesus so that he comes to the trials of Jesus through the night well in fact many of you will know this and John refers to this only John's gospel in John 19:26. John is the only one of the 12 who is at the cross when Jesus is crucified in John 19:26, it says when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. John is always there. He was at the cross. He is the one who witnesses the death of Jesus. And what I mean by that, John watched Jesus die. I think it was such a profound experience in his, in his life and in his mind years later when he writes his gospel in John 19, 35. He stops in the midst of that story having experienced the death of Jesus and he inserts this John 19, 35. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. John stops and says, I know what I have seen and I am proclaiming it to you. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw Jesus die. In John's gospel and the other gospels, we see that there are two disciples that run to the empty tomb, Peter and John. John was in better shape because John's 
I, I thought this was kind of a man thing. John's telling the story that, you know, Peter and I started running, and obviously I outran him and got to the tomb first. Because with guys, it's always a competition, you know, even if you're running to the empty tomb. Anyhow, that was neither here nor there. Peter goes in first. But there, as far as we know, there, the, the women in the broader circle of followers of Jesus went, but we only know of two disciples of the twelve that went and saw the empty tomb. John says, no, I went and I saw it after Peter had, after I beat Peter and then he ducked in first, then I went in also and he said, I saw the grave clothes laying there and his head wrap was set at a different spot. John did not hear it from someone else. John saw it for himself. It's recorded in the Gospels. It's John, if we read the end of John, that sees Jesus when he meets with the disciples the first Sunday and the second Sunday, as we saw last Sunday in the story of Thomas being there the second Sunday. No, John saw him. And later the Gospels record that when they went to Galilee, and uh, as Jesus had told them to do, John was there. And they were fishing that day when there was a man on the shore that asked if you caught something. Which is kind of another slam for men. But anyhow, that's, you know, David Aguilar, you know, that's kind of like a slam. So did you catch anything today? Okay, you have to bring it up. Okay, no, we didn't catch a thing, okay? Uh, and it's John on that occasion. It says in John 21, 7, Therefore the, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord! And then Peter jumps in and he beats John there. We know at least three occasions where John personally saw Jesus, and it seems like every time Jesus appeared, John was there. This is how John closes his gospel, which is his testimony, his witness to what he himself has personally experienced. In John 21, 24, he says, this is concluding his gospel, he says, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. I, I want you to seal those words in your brain because John wrote those words as an old man before he died so that he would record, this is my witness. I know other people have told their story, but I think John said, no, I was there for everything. And I want you to hear my story. In fact, the word he uses there of testify is the word that we get martyr from. When it, invariably in the English when the word witness, which is the noun, is, is in the verbal form, it's translated into English as testifies. So generally when you see the word testifies in, in the New Testament, it is the word for martyr. A witness is one who gives testimony, who testifies of what they have seen. I want to kind of pause the story right there. John says, I'm proclaiming to you what I have personally experienced. And I would contend today that it changed John's entire life, and we're about to lay that out. I would contend it was the resurrection. He'd experienced all those things, but John was not changed and transformed until Jesus, the risen Lord, had been exalted and ascended to the Father. John's life has changed and so many others and they begin to immediately preach it. Mm. I feel the need to pause right here because I want to play the devil's advocate at this point and I want to say so what's the other explanation for what happened? For just a moment let's play the devil's advocate and say what could the other explanation be? Well, maybe Jesus didn't die at all. Or, or maybe it wasn't even Jesus that was on the cross. Maybe it was somebody else. Well, that would be a good try, but I can tell you today that I know there is one witness who was personally intimate with Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that stood there that day 
and said no. That is Jesus. Maybe there was a little switcheroo somewhere in the midst of it. Well, that's a good try, except for John was there. He was there when he was arrested. He was there at his trial. He was there at the crucifixion. He was there for all of that. He knew that was Jesus. Maybe Jesus didn't really die. Maybe it it looked like he died, but they put him in the tomb and he cooled down. Whatever happens, I don't know. And his, his, he comes back to life. Well, that would be good except for the fact that John saw Jesus die. He saw it. Uh, maybe they went to the wrong tomb. You ever thought about when Mary Magdalene, the, the ladies come back and they say he is risen and Peter and John begin to run? Now, I know men don't stop and ask for directions. I understand that, ladies. Okay. Where did they know to go to? Surely John knew where they had buried Jesus. So some people say, well, you know, oh, in all their excitement, they ran. The women got confused about where the tomb was. And Peter, yeah, and it's an empty tomb. Oh, it was the wrong tomb. The only problem is that John knew where the tomb was. And when he walked in, he saw the grave clothes that Jesus had been in laying right there. He was an eyewitness to that. Maybe the body was stolen. In fact, that is the story that the guards were told to tell to the people. Maybe the disciples got together, they overtook the guards, they rolled away the stone, they stole the body. The only problem is, John, who would have been involved in that, days later, or hours later, really, proclaims that Jesus, really it's days later, I'm sorry, proclaims that Jesus has risen. And here's the clincher. John is willing with the other disciples to give their very lives for that one truth. Not that Jesus had died, but that Jesus had rose from the dead. And I've, I've said this many times before, men do not die for a lie, what they know to be a lie. And if they had conspired and they had overcome the guards and they had stolen the body. And the other thing is, what do you do with a dead, rotting corpse at that point? It's kind of hard to hide because the neighbors are saying there's a stench coming from your backyard. I'm sorry. Uh, There's something dead in your house. No, no, just what do you do with a dead body? Even if they, I, I, I guess I go back to that other point. Even if you say, well, they got the wrong tomb. When the disciples stood up and they began to proclaim that Jesus had been raised from the dead, all the, the Roman leaders and the Jewish leaders go, you, you simpletons, y'all got the wrong tomb. All they would have done is produce the dead body. Y'all said he's raised from the dead. There he is right there with the nail scars and the, where the spear went in his side. They would have just produced the body, but they couldn't produce the body. Maybe they hallucinated, some would say. They were so excited that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead, except actually the Gospels, like, blast the disciples because the, God, the disciples are so slow-minded, they don't realize what Jesus had said six times, I'm going to be killed and I will be raised from the dead. They didn't get it. They weren't believers. They weren't anticipating Jesus to die, but some say, oh, if they were. Maybe they had this hallucination that Jesus had come back. The only problem is John was there. You generally don't have hallucinations in groups over several days in several locations. And John was there for all of it. No, John, you got, you got, you got, you got to lay this foundation. John knew what he knew because he had personally experienced the Savior. Yes, had died. But on the third day, he rose to be Lord and Christ. The one witness that refutes all other explanations is John. He wasn't there for part of it. He was there for all of it. That life, that one reality transformed his life. And it is the reason today I would say he was not only a witness from the beginning, but he was a witness to the end. 
how is it that we can pass through some of the most horrible experiences of our life and make it through the only way is to know that there is a greater reality that is not seen with the human eyes that is a greater reality than any reality that we pass through and I believe that was the reason John could be a witness to the end Acts chapter 1 They go to the place where Jesus will ascend. That, that verse, Acts 1-8, Jesus looks at them and he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be witnesses to me they were not only a witness of something they were a witness to something they were a witness of the resurrection they will be a witness to the resurrection the thing that strikes me about the book of acts is that when in those early chapters and i want to look at two three four and five just quickly that they proclaim the resurrection of the jesus of jesus christ their savior whom the Jews had put and the Romans had put to death, that he has ascended, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he reigns. And this risen Lord who reigns has poured out his Spirit on the church and given them boldness, boldness even in the midst of persecution that is coming. Peter speaks for the apostles in that first sermon in Acts 2.32 he says, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. They proclaimed the risen Lord. 3.14, when Peter, when Peter and John heal the lame man and Peter stands to preach, he says to the crowds in 3.14, But you deny the Holy One and the just and ask for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. You killed him, God raised him from the dead. This is days after. If there was any other explanation, the world would say, You people are crazy. There's the dead body. But the body could not be found. But those who had personally witnessed his resurrection gave witness to it. When they are brought before the Sanhedrin on that occasion in 4.10, Peter says, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. And later in 4.33, it says, And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. In chapter 5, verse 29 of Acts, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, this is when they are arrested and they are imprisoned, We ought to obey God rather than man, men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The, the apostles, day after, days after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, said that as the Spirit came upon them, he gave them boldness to proclaim that we are witnesses of the resurrection, and now we give verbal witness to the resurrection that Jesus is now the risen Lord, who reigns and John lives his life out as a witness what year is that hmm. uh, your pastor would say it is the year 33 AD 33 AD uh, we believe that John lived until about 95 A.D., 60 years, he's a witness. The early church records that John would have stayed in Jerusalem for a number of years 
But eventually, John ends up in the city of Ephesus, and he becomes pastor, First Baptist Church, Ephesus, Asia Minor. Oh, it wasn't the Baptist Church. And as those 60 years in which John gave witness to the Lord Jesus Christ move forward, And Christianity separated itself from Judaism that persecution began to arise. You know, it's one thing to explain the empty tomb, the appearances of Jesus, but you add that to the explosion of Christianity in the first century. The expansion of Christianity was just unbelievable. If Jesus had not really been raised from the dead, there is no explanation for how a movement like that could expand as it did. But with the expansion of Christianity came greater persecution by the Jews and especially the Romans. In the first century, um, the Caesars of Rome uh, developed uh, what would be called emperor worship so that they said, no, we want to be exalted as God. And in fact, there were, there were, there were edicts sent across the Roman Empire, including Asia Minor, that said that all citizens must profess with their mouth. You're not going to believe this. They had to profess Caesar is Lord. Now, I thought about that this week and I go, okay, wait a second. I got to go back and look at my original sources in the original language and see if that word Lord is the same as when we say Jesus is Lord. And you know what I discovered? It is the same phrase. You began to understand what Paul was saying in Romans 10, 9 when he says that if we confess with our mouth, the Lord Jesus, or Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now you begin to understand that because in the first century what the emperors insisted, that not only would you burn incense to, the, to the, the emperor Caesar as God, but you would say with your mouth, Caesar is Lord. And those that would not were put to death. It is the context of John's final book that he writes, the book of Revelation. John, once again, is a witness in the book of Revelation. He simply records what it was that he saw. And in fact, the persecution had become so great in, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, that uh, John, the pastor of the Ephesus church, Ephesian church, was arrested and he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And the book of Revelation starts this way, actually, Revelation 1-9, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. I don't know if you've seen it in this context, but what happens, and if we had time this morning, which we do not, to continue reading, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is not a revelation from Jesus Christ. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you understand why God showed this vision to John? Because John and the others that were experiencing persecution, even death, needed to see one thing. The risen Lord reigns. The whole book of Revelation is about that Jesus Christ reigns. In fact, it goes through the messages of the churches. Revelation 5, he sees a vision of heaven. And what does he see? 
at the right hand of God, a lamb as though it had been slain. And the lamb is worthy to open the book, the scroll. And he begins to open it up and to explain to them what's going to happen. But what is the point? It doesn't matter what you pass through. There is a greater reality. It is Jesus Christ. He reigns today. And he who endures till the end shall be saved. Regardless of whatever reality you pass through, Jesus is greater than that because he is the risen Lord who reigns. I want to close with this story that just kind of blows my mind. There was a young man by the name of Polycarp. He was born in the year 69 A.D. in Smyrna. Not Smyrna out here by the lake. Smyrna in Asia Minor. And as a young man, Polycarp becomes a Christian. And the early church fathers record that Polycarp was discipled in Christ by none other than the Apostle John, who was pastor at Ephesus. I, that just... This young man becomes a Christian. And the old man of Ephesus comes. You understand, John is in his 80s. Brother Ted, that's, I mean, that's getting on up there. I mean, that's not as old as he could be. It could be in his 90s. And maybe John was in his 90s. I mean, may, maybe he remembers when Brother Ted was born. He remembers when Ted was a little boy. I mean, John is old. In his late 80s or early 90s. Do you understand? I, I would think the old man would have sat down. And the young man, Polycarp, the follower of Christ, would have come. And John would not have told him the things that he had heard secondhand. Do you know what John did? He told him what he had seen and heard many, many years ago. But the old man remembered it as if it were today. And I know one of the things that he would have impressed upon Polycarp is that, no, I was there when he died. I went to the empty tomb. He appeared to me. And I saw him ascended. And I know that he poured out his spirit. And I know that he is exalted Lord today. So John disciples Polycarp. And then it must have been after that time that John then is arrested because of persecution. He's exiled. John is the last of the twelve who die. Actually, all the others died a martyr's death. John is eventually released from exile in Patmos and he dies as an old man in Ephesus. The last of the apostles. <laughs> a witness from the beginning. A witness to the end. You're not going to believe this story. Polycarp, years later, <clears throat> becomes, having been discipled by John, becomes pastor of the church at Smyrna. And for many years, Polycarp pastors the people. And you know what he relates to them? The things that he had been told by the eyewitness of the old man, John the Apostle. In the year 156, so this is probably 60 years after John has died, Polycarp pastoring the church at Smyrna all of these years, as the persecution began to intensify and Christians were uh, put to death by the Romans because Christianity was an illegal religion. Judaism was considered a legal religion, but Christianity had split off of it and was considered illegal. And they were brought before the Roman authorities either to profess with their mouth, Caesar is Lord, or to be put to death. And one day a mob scene arose, a mob arose in the city of Smyrna. And they were incited against the Christians, and you know who they began to call for? 
The old man, now 86 years of age, Polycarp. Polycarp. You know what they said? You know what they chanted? Away with the atheist. Away with the atheist. Away with the atheist. Christians were considered atheists because they did not believe in the Roman gods. Interesting. Uh, the people of Smyrna, the Christians, encouraged Polycarp to leave town. But he did not. And in fact, three days before he was arrested, uh, Polycarp was resting in an upper room on a pillow. And he went into a trance and he saw a vision of his, his pillow catching fire. And when he, when he woke up, he said to those that were attending to his needs, I must die by fire. Three days after, the mounted police came to that little country cottage where Polycarp was. And Polycarp knew why they had come. He comes from the upstairs room downstairs and he greets the men. <laughs> he insists that the people that are there feed the men. And he asks for them for an hour to pray. And I haven't told you this. The early church father, Irenaeus, who was discipled by Polycarp, records this, that uh, Polycarp prayed for two hours instead of one. But eventually the soldiers had eaten and Polycarp had prayed and he was taken into town. And he was brought before uh, the legal authorities, the sheriff. Uh -huh. And the sheriff persuaded Polycarp to recant and to say Caesar is Lord and to curse Christ and live. Polycarp was silent. And the sheriff began to continue to exhort him to just say Caesar is Lord and to curse Christ and you will be allowed to go. And finally, Polycarp broke his silence and he said, I do not intend to do what you advise. And so the sheriff had no other option but to take Polycarp to the stadium where the mob had gathered. It is recorded by the witnesses that day when Polycarp the 86-year-old man walked into the stadium. There was a voice that came from heaven that said, Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. And believers and unbelievers heard the voice. The proconsul who was over the proceedings that day tried once again to persuade Polycarp, Swear by Caesar, say Caesar is Lord, and curse Christ. And he exhorted him over and over. He threatened him with a wild beast. He threatened him with fire. And finally, in the classic words that are recorded by the early church fathers, Polycarp looks at the proconsul and he says, Eighty and six years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul tried again. And finally, Polycarp, quite irritated, says, here, plainly, I am a Christian. And the, poly, the proconsul had no alternative but to take him into the stadium and for the mob to do with him. And even though he had been threatened by wild beasts and by fire, they said he would die by fire, as his vision had seen. The proconsul proclaimed to the crowd, Polycarp has confessed himself to be a Christian. This is just a side note. When Polycarp was asked if he had anything to say, he mumbled under his breath, away with the atheist. Which he didn't mean what they meant by it. And wood was gathered and was piled up. And Polycarp, the old 86-year-old man, was put on top of it. And they were about to nail him down to the boards there when Polycarp said, Let me be as I am. He who granted me to endure the fire will grant me also to remain unmoved without being secured with nails. This scene blows me away. And as the mob yelled, the wood was set on fire. But the witnesses said instead of the fire consuming Polycarp, it enveloped him 
It was like a vault around him so that Polycarp did not die until the proconsul instructed the executioner to thrust him through with a dagger. And the executioner went over. And Polycarp died. How? How could a person even face death? It is because of that one life-transforming reality that the risen Lord reigns. Not Rome, not the Jews, no one else. There is a greater reality. And yes, it is so true and real that I will give my very life for it. Do you understand why Paul, when he was instructing the Romans, the Romans, <laughs> the Romans, the Christians at Rome, about faith in Christ, that's why he says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Apostle John, a witness from the beginning and a witness to the end, and the one event that changed his life was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that communicated a reality that no one could ever talk him out of, that the risen Lord reigns. Would you stand with me today? As Brother Shane comes, let me pray, and then we invite you to come. Byron and I will be at the front. Before I pray, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, the gospel message, not only that Jesus died, but he has been raised from the dead, compels us. It is inescapable. You will either explain it away or you must submit your life to it and surrender your hearts by saying that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And so, Father, today we pray that as the old gospel message that was preached by John and Polycarp and many others, has been proclaimed today that your spirit would open up hearts and minds and eyes and Father we would surrender our lives to the risen Lord who reigns we trust it to you in Jesus